Gang, it's Ed here, and welcome to Ed Dale Live. Slightly croaky Ed uh, today because I've just been basically screaming all weekend because my dearly beloved Western Bulldogs won the AFL Grand Final. It's the first time they'd been there in 55 years. They'd only ever won one before 61 years ago, so I'd never seen it. Not only did they get to the grand final, but they won, so it was super exciting, uh, but my voice is uh, a, a little bit shot, and I've just realised that we've, of course, in all the excitement, had daylight savings, so for those of you who are managing to be on the stream, well done. Uh, for the rest of you, of course, uh, we are also, of course, publishing this on the blog. You can always catch up with replays on the blog if you want to see the uh, video version. Or indeed, this is also out as a podcast as well. So you just search for Ed Dale Live on your podcast player of choice and you can get the downloads there. We've got a great show for you today. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, the App Store advertising being launched on October 5, which is just, as I talk, it's a, literally a day away uh, here, and that is going to be super, super important. Um, it's actually interesting, a really funny story. Um, I was at the, uh, after your team wins the grand final, they go to their home oval the following day, and so everybody can go. And there was about twenty thousand people all crammed into the to the Witten Oval. And uh, my very dear friend uh, John Reese starts tweeting, uh, sending me messages on Facebook saying, "Oh, I'm really enjoying the view from here," and sent me a photo. And I thought he was stirring because last I'd heard he was in Dubai. And uh, then I, uh, <laughs> and then he. Then he puts a, another picture on one of my Facebook posts, and it's him in the crowd. And I thought, this is either the best Photoshop, or he has truly pranked me in the most epic way possible and has actually flown in for this. And turns out, sure enough, he did, which was uh, just made an amazing weekend even more amazing. So um, I got truly punked by John Reese this weekend as well. But it was interesting, we were discussing uh, the App Store advertising uh, yesterday and just what a huge opportunity it is because we haven't seen uh, one cent clicks since 2004 in Google, you know, and, and you know, the App Store as a search engine as a place for traffic is now, you know, people always quote YouTube as being the second one. Well, the App Store is actually now the second most searched engine uh, that exists today. So it's pretty phenomenal and it's a really exciting opportunity. So I want to touch on that because Apple, to uh, celebrate the launch, actually sent out all developers a $100 credit just to uh, test. So I want to talk to you about using that $100 to best advantage. And just to, um, even though you know there are so many details we don't know just yet and won't know until they're released on October 5, I want to take you through a bit of my thinking. As always, we've got some great questions as well um, from you guys. And of course, if you want to submit a question, well, you can do it now if you happen to be on the stream live uh, at live.eddale.co. Or indeed, uh, if you want to um, at any time during the week, if you think of something that you'd like my opinion on, uh, feel free. Just 
live.eddale.co. If you're listening to this on the podcast and want a question answered, just go to live.eddale.co and uh, and uh, jump on and pop your question in there, and we'll uh, we'll do our best to to answer it. Um, the other thing I wanted to uh, just mention too is that I'm actually coming to the United States at the end of well, it's October now, so at the end of this month, I'll be on the 29th and 30th of October, I'll be in San Diego running my workshops and you can be sure that uh, app ad, all the stuff that we've learned on app ads will be very much a part of uh, that. Also on the uh, 5th and 6th of November, we'll be in Orlando. So we've got both coasts covered and uh, we've got a special deal for anybody who's listening to the live event or on the podcast and you can go to eddale.co slash workshop dash OCT dash 2016 so that's eddale.co forward slash workshop dash OCT for October dash 2016 and you can see all the details about that workshop love to see you there it's my favorite thing to do and uh, people uh, seem to love them and get a lot of value out of them which is awesome because that's that's what we want to see okay so let's uh, come back to me for a second um, there we are so <coughs> pardon me let's hope this voice keeps going um so let's talk about this app store for a second and why i'm so excited about it i've actually talked about it in privacy uh, prior uh, Ed Dale lives, but just as a quick recap, on the fifth of October, uh, which is I think Tuesday, Wednesday, what is it? Yeah, Wednesday, wherever you happen to uh, be, Apple are launching pay per click, or as we love to call it, pay per tap advertising in the App Store. So when you go into the App Store, the if you but you will be able to buy keywords that people type in and if they type in your keyword and you have the highest bid for that keyword, then your ad will be shown. And this is enormous. This is huge because for the first time you, and just they've done some amazing things and I don't know how it's going to last. For a start, one cent minimum clicks. You heard that right. One cent minimum clicks. Um, this is so exciting because for a lot of you who are in niches, um, like I'm thinking of Madcasters and Scriptcasters in particular, you know, people aren't going to be bidding on kickboxing or pottery valuation or you know dog parks and and those sorts of things. You know, the people are going to kill themselves over in the games area, um, and I'm sure, in fact, in some of the productivity software, I think you're going to see pretty uh, expensive pay per click. Uh, or paper tap rates pretty darn quickly but right now you know you're going to be able to get one cent clicks which is super exciting as long as you know your numbers it's awesome you know get uh, you know a thousand effective uh, you know people to view your app download page is very exciting indeed so this is a huge opportunity and you know for those of you who know your numbers and know of how many people view your app download it and then become an email subscriber and then you know what the value of an email subscriber is worth which you should all be moving towards Again, this is this is manna from heaven. It's never been more exciting. You know, online direct marketing did not take off until Google pay per click happened. 
this is going to be the same thing. It is a huge thing. If you were as fortunate as I was to be at the forefront of the pay-per-click revolution, this is where the fortunes were made. This is where the people made big businesses because they realized the opportunity. They paid for these taps or clicks back then. And then, excitingly, they were able to then convert those to leads and sales. And this is the opportunity with this uh, app store. So what should you be thinking about, particularly when Apple uh, over the last few days has sent every developer in the app store a hundred bucks for you to try out the new system, uh, which is exciting. So here are the questions that you should be asking, because of course, there are still, you can actually set up your first ad campaign right now, ready to go for October 5. So you, it won't go live till the 5th of October, but you can actually go in and set up your ad now. What are the things that you need to be asking yourself when setting up any sort of advertising? You know, the fundamentals don't change, whether it's a Facebook ad, pay-per-click ad, Google pay-per-click ad, a, you know, a YouTube referral ad, whatever the ad is, there are some key fundamentals that I think you need to apply. And what I'm afraid of is a lot of people will just piss their 100 bucks against the wall because they won't think, first of all, why they're doing the ad in the first place. What's the objective of your ad campaign? There's no point in spending the $100 voucher unless you've got a specific objective for your campaign. What are you trying to do? Are you trying to down, you know, drive app unit downloads? Are you trying to drive email opt-ins? What is your goal here? What is your objective? That is absolutely key. Now, I would like to think for most people, and I'm thinking magcasters and scrivcasters in particular, I'd really like to think that your objective is emails, right? So that what you want to be looking at is to drive an increase in emails that you collect from your app. Ultimately, I believe that's the most important um, you know, uh, metric that you need to have a look at. However, having said that, there are three metrics or levers that I think are super important for you to look at. And this actually segues into the second part. So once you know why you're running the ad, then you have to be very specific. With each ad, you must design it as an experiment. And the key part of any experiment is first of all saying, well, what are you testing? You know, what are you specifically testing? Because if you just throw a bunch of keywords and Apple will do, you know, they'll suggest a whole bunch of keywords to you. And by the way, spoiler alert, uh, the keyword research that they're making available is pure, unadulterated gold. It changes everything in the way you do keyword research. For the first time, we have visibility to keywords that Apple thinks should be associated with your app. It's incredibly exciting, even for organic uh, app store results. But I'll come back to that. So what are we testing? If you just throw a bunch of keywords in there, and you because you can't, one of the great, Positive things or negative things, I don't know which which uh, way. Um, I like to think it's actually a positive for a lot of people. Is that you can't the ad design is taken out of the equation because you have no flexibility. Whatever your app store description looks like, how your app looks like in the app store, that is what people are going to see in the ad. They're going to see a little blue ad word written there, and then a slight light blue tint. 
in the to so people know that it's an ad as opposed to the first result. You see the first result peeking above the screen on your iPhone. That is going to be what people see. So there's no tweaking there. Although I hope ever since it's been announced, I have been berating you all through the Northern Hemisphere summer months to be looking at your you know, screenshots become immensely important. The title of your app becomes immensely important because they're the only things you can actually alter in the ad part of your um, you know, paper tap campaign. So what are the other moving parts? Well, obviously the keywords are a moving part because you can test keywords. And what I'm afraid people are going to do is they're just going to dump a whole bunch of keywords in there and they're not going to look at the effect of each keyword. You know, so what people try to do, because it saves them time, right? They want to dump, you know, they want to dump a whole bunch of, you know, keywords into one ad and try to get that message to market match. Now, in this case, of course, you have no control over the the ad itself, except for what are in the screenshots and what the title of your app is. So that is going to have to sell people clicking in so that they can absolutely view your campaign. So if you're in iTunes Connect, Apple has three key metrics that you need to be looking at with your campaign. The first one is impressions. Now, this is a very simple metric. What does an impression mean? An impression means anytime anybody anywhere in the app store sees your app logo. So if you happen to be mentioned in a what's new or a what's hot, then guess what? That's an impression because people see that. Now, they may be seeing your icon with 30 other icons, but that's still an impression. 65% of all searches, however, and downloads are conducted from the actual search icon. So when you actually search in the App Store for something, that's when most people see it. And by the way, what is incredibly exciting is unlike Google, unlike Facebook, Apple are allowing you to pay for keywords that are brand or trademark keywords. And they've done this deliberately. Phil Schiller, head of marketing, said the reason they made the decision this way is to allow small and independent developers to get their app seen in front of you know, key apps like Twitter, for example, although I imagine Twitter is going to be a hugely expensive keyword, but it's very exciting. And there's two protections built in here. The first protection is, and thank goodness they did this because otherwise all we'd see is Clash of Clans and Clash of Royale ads from Supercell and Candy Crush from King. Um, the, you can't advertise in non-related topic areas. Your ad will never be seen. So you know, if somebody's looking for a game, you can't. Your there has to be a, a relationship between the keyword and your app. You just can't spam different keywords. But however, if you are um, in a market on kickboxing, and let's say there's Kickboxer Magazine, it's a, you know, that is, there's actually a Kickboxer Magazine, you could literally put your Kickboxing Magcast or Scriftcast above Kickboxing Magazine by buying the tap. And I suspect the tap will be super cheap until Kickboxing Magazine starts buying their own ads. And of course, what we know, People are slow to get onto this, so people who move fast win. However, move fast with safety and being smart about it. So you need to design your experiments. And so the first metric that you're going to see change on your app analytics in iTunes Connect 
are your impressions. But impressions mean nothing. You can't go to the bank and say, I'd like to put these impressions in, please give me money. Would be awesome, but no. You can't go to Subway and buy a six-inch sub using impressions. Won't help you in any way, shape, or form. The only thing that you can hope out of an impression is a product page view or a download. So somebody looks at the icon and says, yep, that's what I want, and clicks. However, the most likely thing to be generated out of a impression is a product page view. And this is your second crucial metric that you need to be looking at. So what's a product page view? That's anytime anybody looks at your app description page on their um, iPhone or their iPad or indeed in iTunes on a desktop. This is a really important metric because this is where the rubber meets the road. Think of the psychology here. People have seen your icon somewhere and tapped on it and they've gone in to have a look at the product page. So they've taken their time out. They've been intrigued enough to go there. And most people, like the apps, certainly most Madcasters and Scriftcasters, are free to download. So price is not an issue when you're looking at downloads here. So it's only a person who sees the product page, you'd like to think is somebody's pretty interested already because they've seen the screenshots or they've seen the app icon and they think, yeah, this is something I want to look at. Pretty hot prospect, which is why the third metric, which is really where the rubber hits the road, which is your app unit metric, becomes so important. And you really want to see a 30 to 40%, Apple says 40%, 30 to 40% conversion of product page views to what we call app units, which is when people are downloading your app. Now I hear you say, well, I don't, but I can imagine you saying this, but Ed, doesn't app units include people who are re-downloading the app or doing an update or all of those sorts of things? Yes, it absolutely does. So you need to make sure that when you're doing your testing, don't update your app during that so you don't distort your results. The other thing that's really important to understand is, you know, you compare, let's compare apples with apples. So there's a ground base or noise of organic results. And I do hope before you start your testing, you have a good look and snapshot what your organic results are so that you know how to convert those and compare those to what's happening with your paid for paper tap campaigns. If you don't do your baseline, again, it's... Again, I'm just knowing what happened in pay-per-click. You just don't know whether actually the paper tap is working for you unless you drew that baseline first. So you don't have to spend it all on October 5, right? Don't worry, you know, this is going to be here forever now. So just make sure that you've had a good look at your app analytics and you've drawn a baseline and you know what the, your organic results look like. And hopefully, if you've been listening to me, you've been working through the summer to optimize that product page view to app unit conversion rate to get that up as high as you can. Because here's the deal. The only way you can influence your app unit downloads, which is where we get emails, which is where we start to be able to send push notifications to people, where we are able to start to build a tribe, the magic happens after a download, right? So the only thing we can do to impact that is our screenshots and our product description and our app title in our product page view, okay? That's the only thing we can do. So it's vital that you test that. So that's a test and that's a separate test 
to the keyword test because if you test, if you change your keywords at the same time that you change your product description or your screenshots, what made the change? You don't know and you've just wasted that experiment. So think of it as setting up individual experiments. Hasten slowly. What are you going to test first? One of the first tests that I'll be doing is what keywords work. So what keywords make a, a significant change to impressions and to product page views, right? That's part of the first lot of impressions. And then once you figure that out, then looking at conversion rates to boost those rates up to that 30 to 40% range. Because like I say, you know, people, you know, people have to be actively sort of put off because once they've gone to that download and it's a free click the get button, you know, it's... <laughs> You know, you'd really have to actively be putting people off to do this. So, <clears throat> pardon me. That's something for you to have a, a think about there. Uh, test small. Use small Use small budgets, small tests. Never, ever, ever take the app. Apple will very helpfully, as do Google and Facebook, they allow they will happily craft a campaign for you and give you suggestions about how much to pay and what you should bid and all those things. I'm sure they've got their best interests at heart, but not necessarily your best interests. So when I'm first testing, I'll be always manual testing. I won't be letting Apple do that for me. Now, who knows? Maybe Apple is completely different to Google and Facebook, and because they're not making their money per se from app these this app advertising, Maybe they will be. Who knows? But nobody knows right now. So I would never use their automatic campaign building until I'd started to know my actual numbers. As I say, who knows? Maybe they'll do it brilliantly fairly and it'll be wonderful. But our experience with Facebook and Google is that you know they will ruin you, right? Because they just don't care, right? So they're interested in being paid. So start small. What are the other things that we're going to be seeing? We're going to be seeing click fraud. Okay. We're going to be seeing all the negative things that happened in the first couple of years of Google and Facebook advertising. All these things are going to happen here. So you need to test small so that when there is a huge uptake in product page views or impressions, but you don't see a resulting uptick in app units, you know, I remember in the early days of pay-per-click, we'll be going along, we'll be spending, you know, 50 bucks a day, 50 bucks a day, 50 bucks a day, $1,500 a day, 50 bucks a day, 50 bucks a day, 50 bucks a day. And inevitably, it was click fraud. So it was no big deal. I mean, it was stressful for when I first saw it, but I'd, you'd have to email Google and say, hey, I, this is not kosher, this is not right. And inevitably, they would instantly wipe out that day and that would be fine because they know click fraud happens and they don't want you know you to suffer because of click fraud so you need to be aware of all of these things don't be conducting a paid traffic campaign if you don't have somebody who is looking at your stats every day during the campaign i say this in particular because most of the people listening to this are of the entrepreneurial bent and we know from our studies that we conducted last year that most entrepreneurs, particularly the high uh, high quick start, low follow through types, they don't check stats every day. It's hopeless at it, you know. And and I put myself in this category. If I didn't have somebody looking at my stats for me, I'd be in all sorts of trouble. I once spent uh, thirty grand because I didn't look at a pay per click campaign for a month. 
you don't want to do that, right? That is a stupid, stupid thing to do. So you do not want to do that. So these are things that I want to prepare you for, for what is going to be without doubt an amazing, amazing opportunity. So keep that in mind. Um, and uh, we'll have a great time with it, right? It'll be, uh, it'll be, you know, this will be an awesome time. Why are apps so important? Aren't apps dead? No. Push notifications and messaging is going to be the next big way of communicating with your tribe. There is no question. It's a matter of when, not if. Now, of course, email to right now today, email rules. Email is king. Make no mistake. Collecting emails is the most important thing to do. And if you haven't optimized your app, to collect emails, um, rocks in the head, frankly, you know, because you need to be able to communicate with the market. I'm very excited. Um, I'm keynote speaking at the We Are podcast conference here in Australia uh, on the at the end of this week and this weekend, and I'm really looking forward to it. Uh, my po- topic of my talk is it's okay for you to make money and podcast, really, um, because it just breaks my heart how many podcasters with awesome podcasts make no money out of it. Reason one that they don't make any money out of it is they've got no other way of communicating with their tribe other than their podcast. And if you think about podcasts, they are awesome. They're my most favorite medium of all time, without question. I love listening to podcasts more than any other thing. I listen to podcasts more than any other media, so they've got to be good, right? But there's a thing, right? I'm always walking the dog or I'm driving or I'm doing something while I'm listening to podcasts, typically. So my ability to react and take action while listening listening to a podcast, severely, severely hampered. So that, to me, is um, why you have to back up with podcasts. You have to be able to collect an email. Same goes for apps. Apps are the exact same deal. People are saying, oh, apps are dead. You know, oh, there's only nine apps that people regularly use. That's true. But what about all the specialty apps that people use who are, you know, who are tribe members? People like Extraordinary Vision, uh, which is a Scrivcast and Magcast, which is on outdoor photography, which I love to look at. I look at that every month, every probably a couple of times every month. And if I'm collecting emails, then that's great, right? Because we've got other ways to engage and interact with our market. If we don't have ways to interact and engage with our market, well, you know, you're doing a lot of work and not getting the real effort out of it, okay? So have fun with it. Um, You can be sure at our October workshops, we'll be talking all about what we've learnt over the first month of Paper Tap. Um, So if you want to get my first hot takes on all of that, um, make sure you come along to one of the the workshops in the US. In fact, I'll uh, just mention again, the uh, the uh, URL, if you want to have a look at, you know, and they're incredibly cost effective. In fact, I've got a special deal up for anybody who's listening to this right now. It's eddale.co slash workshop dash OCT dash 2016. So eddale.co forward slash workshop, all one word, dash OCT dash 2016. Love to see you there and uh, talk apps. All right, though, we've got some fantastic questions here. So let's uh, get into some questions here on our little podcast here. So let's uh, let's get cracking on that. Uh, let's t- flick that there, flick that there, uh, flick that there.
at any time if you want to submit a question, feel free to jump to live.eddale.co 24-7. And uh, just like all of these people here have, um, and if you want to jump in, drop a question now, feel free as well. So let's go. Uh, Liam asks a question here and says, Hi, Ed, you say every market is a market. How do I turn my passion and interest for gaming or a favorite movie into an online business? Cheers, Liam. Great question. Now, um, I don't know if you've been looking, but of course, you only need to go as far as twitch.tv and YouTube Live to see many, many examples of people making money out of games. This is an area I happen to have a little bit of knowledge of. Um, I've got two favorite mobile games, which I just love and adore, um, Hearthstone and uh, Clash Royale. Love both of them dearly. Really enjoy them. And uh, if I think about the uh, ecosystem and people who are making money around Hearthstone and Clash Royale, there are blogs, which uh, like on Clash Royale, post decks or, um, you know, or indeed um, Hearthstone, you know, how to create decks to uh, beat other people and, you know, make your way through challenges and all those sorts of things. Um, you know, new updates, what cards, new cards mean or new characters in Clash Royale. All those things become really important. And, you know, they how are they making money? They are making money through donations and Patreon. So people who actually listen to their podcasts actually um, go to Patreon. I don't know, for those of you who haven't heard of it, it's really fascinating and I think has some merit potentially for Madcasters and Scriptcasters as well, where it's sort of like membership crowdfunding. It's sort of like crowdfunding meets membership. And so people who love your uh, podcast basically pay you a little subscription each month, you know, a dollar, five dollars, ten dollars a month to just help keep the, you know, keep the podcast going. And if you look at some of the successful gaming uh, podcasts, uh, The Angry Chicken is one that comes immediately to mind. Um, you know, they make a decent amount of money. Now, it's not Ferrari buying money. But it's enough money for them to. I know a couple of the the um, you know amongst their various uh, podcasts and so on make enough. They make a living out of it. But where do they make their? They make the bigger money because they hold live events where they get their community together. I went to the Pen Addicts. Um, uh, 200th taping of their show uh, in a, the Atlanta Pen Show earlier on uh, this year, which was awesome uh, event. Yes, there's a podcast and there's a whole niche around fountain pens. But I think, you know, for your specific question, Liam, in that case, they are making money through providing people information. Because I look at myself, you know, I'm busy. I don't spend all my time uh, reading game sites. I can't go everywhere. So, but I do walk the dogs every single day. So once a week, I listen to the Angry Chicken podcast and I'm completely up to date and I know what's going on. So I'm more than happy to be a Patreon because they're effectively, you know, paying, you know, they're helping me out. So I think there's a real opportunity there. Madcasters and Scriftcasters, some of the most successful uh, digital publications, uh, Madcasters and Scriftcasters are based on games. Now, movies is an interesting one. 
um, as well. You know, again, you know, look at your franchise type movies, you know, your Marvels, your Lord of the Rings and so on. There are, again, podcasts and communities around these uh, these events. There are Kickstarters, crowdfunding opportunities where you can make replica swords and all those sorts of things I've seen for like movie props so that you can have your own hand solo blaster or whatever it happens to be. So, you know, they're all, um, every market is a market. I'm convinced of it. You know, like I say, all we need to find is a thousand people across the planet to spend $100 with us each year. And that's a $100,000 a year business. 30% margins, you know, $70,000. Then, you know, that's, that's a living, right? You can start to have some choices. You start to have some flexibility. And that's what's so exciting about what we do. But, like I've been rabbiting on here with uh, my paper tap, is if you're not building a list, if you're not collecting emails, if you're not having some visibility in that market, then all of it, you have to revert to the older school, you know, horrible, you know, uh, AdSense AdWords and, and horrible, you know, page clicky, spammy ads and all those sorts of things, which really suck. They... They make the user experience horrible, and it's it's you, know, you can earn so much more if you're solving problems in your marketplace. What are their pains, gains, and jobs to be done? And you work from there. So hopefully, Liam, that gives you some ideas about that. But part, you know, remember, focus one in our six focus points for any business is market understanding. So what are the pains, gains, and jobs to be done in your market? And think about that. And remember, you know, it's and take a 12 month view of it, Liam. You know, it's not going to happen overnight. You're going to have to, you know, put in the time, effort, and the energy to build up a Twitch channel, to build up a podcast, to build up to that. But boy, <coughs> you know, um, compared to, you know, spending a decade of working in a doctor's, uh, you know, training to be a doctor and earning an average of $62,000 your first year out. I know which I'd rather do. So have a think about that, Liam, and let us know how you're going. Hopefully that uh, that helped you out a little bit. Okay, the next one I've got here is from Terry, and he says, Hey, Ed, can you please talk more about some successful niche-style businesses you know of and some of the specific ways they make money online? Thank you. Well, actually, Terry, I mentioned just then actually some of my absolute favorites and it's this is very front of mind because i'm preparing my um keynote speech and i'm actually going into a couple of um, podcasts in particular because i'm so passionate about podcasts love them dearly as i've said and i really want to see people make money from them and one of my favorite examples is the pen addict podcast which is all about people who love fountain pens like i do and it's a thing right there are collectors they you know they get all nerdy about types of nibs you know this is a uh, this is a falcon nib um and it's a pilot namiki pen they are so amazing to write with it's awesome it's got a little bit of flex in it all these sorts of things right but there's a whole community around fountain pens take my word for it and you know this often amazes people because they just don't think of fountain pens as a thing but everything is a thing every market is a market and so when I look at when they started out, they were just enthusiasts uh, doing a uh, a podcast, weekly podcast on fountain pens. And as it went along, and the, <coughs> both Mike and Brad Dowdy had 
full-time jobs. Uh, I think uh, Mike was in a uh, working in marketing in a bank in England, and and Brad was working. I think he was working night shifts. Um, but as they built their audience, they started to realise pains, gains, and jobs to be done. And and Brad decided to um, do a um, like create a type of. Do I have mine here? Oh, it'll be in my cupboard. But a a carrier for fountain pens, right? So this is this is a, an example. This is a very fancy, um, like Pelican case here, leather made case. And he had an idea of creating a pen case for people, which were a bit more flexibility and could put in a field notes notebook. And so they designed this, and because they'd built a community, they didn't just go and offer it. They crowdfunded the campaign, right? And you can look this up, Nook. It's a N. Oh, okay. You'll see they've done a number of successful crowdfunding campaigns. In fact, their most recent one for a little briefcase literally was funded within the first four hours. You know, it's insane because they've built it up. But this is the opportunity that you all have, I believe. So the story goes, they created this case and they did their first crowdfunding campaign. The crowdfunding campaign worked and they were able to create their first pen case. That then begat another crowdfunding campaign, which enabled them to make enough money for Brad to be able to go full-time and create Nook, the company, N-O-O-K. And now it's a full-time bespoke case company. Um, They make fabulous cases for pens. Uh, I've got a whole bunch of them in the cupboard there. Um, (coughs) And I always use them when I'm I'm traveling and going out. So (coughs) he was able to create a full-time business servicing the fountain pen community. Doing that then... They crowdfunded their shows. So they were going to put on a special live recording of their um, show. And rather than just doing it and hoping and crossing fingers that people would come and Mike would have to fly from London to do it, they actually crowdfunded their entire live show campaign at the, and I think it was for $15,000 that they had to raise. Again, you can go and look at this on Kickstarter, it's still there in the archive campaigns. And they were able to crowdfund that. And I just thought, how brilliant is this? They've created this amazing niche around fountain pens. And they've been able to turn that into a full-time occupation. Now, Mike, of course, is uh, the head of the um, Replay Podcasting Network. So he has a number of podcasts, which enabled him to go full-time. But for Brad, who was working completely in another industry, he's now full-time in fountain pens. That, to me, is the promise of what we do here. That's the excitement of what we do. (coughs) Sorry, there's my um, grand final voice for you. Sorry about that, everybody. Um, Pottery valuation, dog parks of America, piano stool restoration, underwater kickboxing is a thing now. It's unbelievable, right? There are just so many things. And that's why I want people to get out of their thing. Oh, I wonder if this will be right. Because for a significant percentage of people listening to this, about 35% of you, that hesitation to jump into a market and commit a year to it. Now, when I say commit a year, I'm not talking 40 hours a week. I'm talking 30 minutes a day, right? Committing enough that you're taking action in a market. You're doing the challenge in that particular niche. You're jumping in, you know, that's a huge uh, stopper for people because they want to know, I, they basically want to know, I don't want to waste my time. And that's why I like telling people about all these crazy esoteric markets where people are making $100,000 or more in that marketplace 
because it's to give inspiration to people. Uh, because there's never been a better time with things like crowdfunding and Patreon and you know membership programs and all these sorts of things to be able to put together something where you can work with your market. It's not like you're trying to sell and pitch and confuse your market and tricking them into buying stuff. No, involvement breeds commitment. There's never been a better, more exciting time for you to work with your market, to be able to create cool products and services and show. And it's not just products, right? It's shows, it's education campaigns, it's all sorts of cool and amazing things because of these new ways of raising money and funding and taking the risk out of it. Because what happens if you fail the crowdfunding? No, you've spent some time creating a cool video and, and pages, you know, when I'm working with clients doing crowdfunding campaigns, you know, they don't always work. And I'll tell you why they don't always work. They typically don't work because they haven't built up enough of an audience. But do you know what, how, you know, this was amazing to me. I've been doing a lot of research in crowdfunding recently and the average successful Kickstarter has a typical mailing, sorry, the most successful email, the average size of mailing list is about 4,000 which is not that, uh, you know, that's not out of the ballpark. For most people I work with who have a Magcast or a Scrivcast, they can build a 4,000-person list over the course of a few months, right? So you can start testing things right away. And that's what's super exciting about all of this, I think. Um, so hopefully, Terry, that gives you some some ideas. Now, this next question is uh, also from Terry. Oh, you put in two, Terry. I should be charging cash. When naming a magcast, where can we go to make checks to ensure we're not infringing on an existing magazine name somewhere in the world? Great question. And it's a question I'm not qualified to answer because the, the rules change depending on where you are. Effectively, you're looking at trademark issues okay so you don't want to start a magazine and have it be somebody's trademarked name in a similar area where you can have real problems of course there's the famous story of uh, Nathan Chan one of the most successful magcaster stories you know he's built an empire for himself now you know second most popular entrepreneurial magazine in the world turns out though when he first named his magazine it happened to be the same or very similar to a, a real world magazine and of course funnily enough got the cease and desist letter and it was terrible it wasn't the end of the world though because he was able because it's a digital product he was able to change his name of everything but it was a close call and he would have preferred not to have the stress let me tell you so what you need to do is you need to in your country you need to check with somebody who's an attorney lawyer depending on where you solicitor depending on what uh, country you're in um, who specializes in trademark searching and trade there are there's a methodology for doing it it shouldn't be too expensive it might end up costing you a couple of hundred bucks there are places that you can go online in terms of searching for trademarks and so on again I can't advise you on those because I am certainly not a qualified uh, lawyer and can't give any sort of professional advice but I would scan those places but ultimately at the end of the day to make sure you're covered get uh, once you've decided, yep, that's the, the the name that I'm going for, make the effort to do those correct trademark searches so you don't get yourself into trouble, uh, right? It's it's not a huge or an expensive process, but it's a great peace of mind for you, okay? So that's a that's a, the best way ahead. Okay, Peter asks, okay, you've got that email address. Woo, we're list building. Now for an email sequence following. This is a great question. What's the best balance, i.e. number of emails between problem agitation, education, and an offer? Thank you. 
This is a really good question. Because people say, you know, what, you know, what should I do? And the first, we have a sequence actually um, that's called the Achiever Formula Sequence. And it was designed based on uh, the great Dean Jackson. Uh, and this was really emphasized to me over the, the last few days. The first thing you want to do is add value, right? What's the job of your email sequence? Typically, they've joined your list because you've offered to help them with a particular pain or you want them to get somewhere so it's a gain or you want to show them something. It's a job to be done. It's one of those things. So your first emails need to be super consistent and offer massive value. Now, the mistake, the mistake people make is that all they do is offer value and never make offers. Okay, this is a huge mistake because, and I saw this and it was funny, I was at the Pro Blogger Conference, you know, 500 uh, professional bloggers uh, last month and I had the opportunity to speak to them. And they would say, you know, whenever we make an offer, people get angry at us. Like we get letters and emails and people say, how dare you try and make money, blah, 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 blah. Like there's some sort of charity. Podcasters get this too. Now, the best way I've heard this described is Dean Jackson, and he does it in a beautiful way, and he calls it, "I would you like a cookie marketing? Would you like a cookie marketing? Think about this for a second. If you go to somebody's house, and you knock on the door, and they they say, uh, you know, you, you open the door, and the, the person you're coming to see uh, has a tray of cookies, and they say, hey, would you like a cookie? Now, you're going to, Answer in one of two ways, right? One, you're going to say, oh, yes, I'd love a cookie, thanks. Or, oh, no, thank you. Wouldn't like a cookie. Um, I'm on paleo this week or whatever. All right? That's, that, they're the two possible reactions. However, what we see online with these bloggers and these, and think about this for a second, podcasters, they walk in, we say, would you like a cookie? And your readers or listeners slam the tray out of your hand and say, how dare you offer me a cookie? Does that happen in real life? Of course it doesn't. So what are we doing wrong? What's the problem here? Okay, so the problem is this incredible mismatch. So the first thing, and this is something that is so important. When people first join your mailing list, Coincidentally, that's at their best, they're most likely, there are only 15% of people, approximately, at any one particular time who are joining your mailing list who are actually ready to buy something or purchase something from you. So you need to cater for that 15%, right? That is important. Because if you don't, if you're just offering value and you're not making any offers, well, you're actually doing a disservice to those 15% who have a problem right now and they're willing to pay for it. Or they want to get somewhere where they want to go and they're willing to pay for it right now. So you're actually doing a disservice to those people. Yet 85% of people aren't in a position to buy now. Nothing you can do about it. They're just not interested. They don't even know they've got a problem or a gain or they're just... Whatever, whatever, 85% of people just aren't interested. So how do you deal with both? You use, would you like a cookie marketing? Okay, so when people join your list, have some sort of email <clears throat> at the bottom of all your emails that you send, add value, but make sure at the bottom, you're always asking a, would you like a cookie question? And those cookie questions are always things which lead you along a path of 
solving a big pain, getting a big gain, or getting a job to be done. You know, you, and this is where market understanding comes into the the equation. So when I'm working with clients and designing their funnels, we're trying to figure out what um, what are the pay, key pains, gains, and jobs to be done. And the would you like a cookie equivalent is hey, would you like some help with this? Or would you like, uh, you know, in real estate, you know, would you like a valuation on your home? Uh, In, you know, if you're a florist, uh, would you like a a guide to uh, getting the best wedding flowers for the most cost-effective price? You know, do you see what I mean? We're helping people, but it's, would you like a cookie? There's a, it's, you could have been sending a newsletter weekly. Here's what I posted during the week. You could have been sending value or you could be having it like we do with the Achiever formula, a series of three things that are introducing you and really giving amazing value. But at the end of every single one, either in video or on the email, as when we're doing, we're designing an Achiever formula sequence, we're always asking, would you like a cookie? No skin off anybody's nose because most people don't want the cookie right now. We know that for a fact. So this is where people muck it up, right? It's they stuff it up when they either all they do is they try to shove oh, oh oh you're on my list you've signed up I've sent you a PDF which you probably haven't read and the very next thing I'm trying to smash you buying stuff, no value you doing that right? They make that mistake, or alternatively, they don't make any would you like a cookie with that, and all they do is give value. So when they actually do ask for money at some point down the track, people get all you know, snarky, even though they've been getting everything free. It's it's not their fault. It's human nature. If you offer, if you just give a whole bunch of stuff for free and then all of a sudden you charge for something out of the blue, it's called the Red Cross effect. And there's a great podcast from Planet Money. If you go Google Planet Money Red Cross, it's really worth listening to. And it's about how vet, US veterans from World War II to this day hate the Red Cross, literally hate them. And the reason was because they got free donuts and coffee from the Red Cross in World War II. And what happened was that the British um, hierarchy, because the British soldiers had to pay for the, their donuts and coffee. So, because of course they were fighting together in Europe, they, the British hierarchy said to the US hierarchy, hey, look, you know, this is a bit unfair, it's causing some friction. So the US hierarchy said to the Red Cross, look, can you you know, charge the same as the British soldiers. And of course, the GIs went banana-rama. They were protests. It was it was just really bad, right? It's just such a simple thing. But they were getting these donuts and coffee for free, and all of a sudden they were asked to pay. And remember, even though in your mind you're thinking, wow, this course that I'm doing is enormous, you know, the content and the value that I'm providing is 10 times what a single blog post is, your market doesn't care about that. They don't make that equation unless you very succinctly step it out. And that's the mistake people make. So even though the, your perception is, well, hang on, this is something I put my heart and soul and six months of work and research and everything, and checklists and all sorts of awesome things. In your market, it's donuts and coffee. You've been giving donuts and coffee, and then all of a sudden you're asking the GIs to pay for donuts and coffee. That's where people make the mistake. So if from day one, you're asking people, would you like a cookie? Then, as I say, nobody slams the cookie tray in the face of the person who's offering the cookie. It just doesn't happen. 
right? Do you see where I'm going with this? I hope you do, because it's such a powerful marketing lesson. And when I do this for clients, oh, can't tell you the the change it, it makes for people. Um, you know, because it's, it, it's also non-sleazy marketing, right? Because sleazy marketing doesn't work in this day and age either. Um, you might trick somebody gullible, but you know, your name is going to be poo on social media faster than you can say Jack Robinson. So hopefully that has helped out. All right. Um, Peter says, hi, Ed, congrats on the doggies win. Enjoy. I don't know. Can you see this? I'm, uh, well, it's not very helpful for the podcast, but I am wearing my Western Bulldogs. Hang on, which direction? My Premier's uh, Western Bulldogs hoodie, uh, which I'm super excited about. So thank you very much for that. It was, uh, I, it was the greatest weekend in my life genuinely the greatest long weekend of my life it was unbelievable um so thank you very much for that and of course if you're following me on twitter or facebook uh it's been all bulldogs all the time uh i will be coming back to earth and giving you that marketing goodness that you all hopefully are following me for um but thanks for persevering over that it was literally a once in a lifetime thing Okay, last question here for for today's episode. Rowdy says, can I use a drawing to give away a desirable item as a lead magnet? For example, sign up for news and updates and be entered in this month's drawing to win A. Then randomly choose one of my new opt-ins in Aweber as the winner. P.S. Learning a lot from Achiever Formula. Great stuff so far. Thank you for being part of Achiever Formula. We just had a, I can't wait actually, uh, be doing a new semester of Achiever Formula, working with people, showing them how to use the Kanban board and all that sort of stuff. So thank you for being part of that. Here's the problem I have with giveaway. If you're going to do a giveaway, a drawing, here's the thing, right? The thing that's really, if you say, like, get an iPad, or something like that that's not related to what you're doing. People are only giving you their email because they want the iPad, not because of what you have to say, right? So that's the problem I have. What I don't mind, and of course, when you think about it, a PDF report or a video or an audio series or anything that you give away as your lead magnet, that to get people to raise their hand and say, yes, I'm interested, something that solves a huge pain for them or points them in the path of that. Please make sure it's relevant. Because if it's not relevant, then why do you want them on the list, right? You've got, you need people to, you need to make invisible markets visible. So a drawing, if people really want what you're doing the drawing, they'll put their hand up, but they're not going to be a buyer. They're not going to, so ultimately you do have to test a little bit. But the one thing I will say is whatever you are giving away. So for example, a drawing, a potentially a cool drawing would be if I was doing, say on digital publisher Madcast, I was going to say, hey, sign up for our newsletter. And by the way, each month we'll draw somebody in the newsletter to uh, have a one hour consult with me, which people usually, you know, if they're working with me, you know, it's 4,900 bucks a month or whatever it is. So that might be a good, right, that may be a thing, but I would test it. I would, I would do a month of without it and a month with it and see if there was a significant increase in opt-ins. And if there was, we'd continue to do it. If there wasn't, well, we wouldn't do it. So it's a test. But one thing I will say is please make sure it's a relevant giveaway. Okay, don't give away an iPhone or an iPhone. I see lots of these. And people will enter them because they want the iPad or the iPhone. They don't want to get your emails. Um, and they're, they're not a tribe member. That's not 1,000 true fans that we're building up for our $100,000 you know, $100, a year business. Does that make sense? Hopefully that does. 
Alright, that is it for today's episode. Thank you very much for everybody participating. It was awesome to have you on board. Uh, can't wait to see what people do with their... Um with all of their uh, uh, you know, paper tap advertising and uh, really looking forward to seeing what everybody does there. And we'll be obviously talking about that all through, well, as we go into our spring or your autumn in the Northern Hemisphere. Uh, it'll be awesome to have that. We'll correct the times and dates, so be on the lookout for next week because we'll obviously have to figure out the uh, time changes because daylight savings is changing everywhere. Um, but with that, thank you very much. And I will say, just before you go, just remember, if you're listening on the podcast or anywhere uh, during the week, seeing one of the replays, you can always use live.eddale.co to um, put in a question and uh, you know I'll do my best uh, to answer it in an upcoming broadcast. So with that, thank you very much everybody. Have a great week and go dogs.